As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Soccer 101, the show where we scratch the soccer riches you never knew you had. Today, we're talking about Pep Guardiola, what makes him such a great coach, and how he rose to the elite level in management. After starting out in the Barcelona Youth Academy, Pep graduated to their first team, where he won the club's first ever European Cup in 1992, as part of Barcelona's so-called dream team, also featuring Ronald Koeman, Risto Stoichkov, Brian Laudrup, and Man City director of football, Chiki Bajiristan. Pep's manager in that team was his mentor and the man upon whom he modelled his own managerial career, Johan Cruyff. As a coach, Pep has won nine league titles in three leagues, possibly ten titles if you're listening to this after the conclusion of the 2021-22 Premier League. He's won five domestic cups and a couple of Champions Leagues to boot. My name's Ryan Bailey. Here to help me talk Guardiola today are two men with a Pep in their step. Hello, Taylor Rockwell. Hello, I'm excited to be here. As am I excited to be talking with you about <laughs> Pep. Hello, Joe Lowry. I was thinking my steps were feeling particularly peppy today. Now I understand why. What do you think it means to have a pep in your step? Does it mean you sort of bounce yeah, it's gaily like a, along the pavement? You got energy and you're like kind of yeah, kind of bouncing as along as you walk. I think that's right, Ryan. I mm. I choose to believe in the context of this episode that it's actually if you don't walk happily, Pep Guardiola will show up and give you very specific instructions on how to walk properly, yeah. or that somehow Pep has shrunk and is in your shoe as you're walking. I don't <laughs> I don't know how that works, but so many possibilities. I imagine if I wasn't walking properly. Pep would sort of crouch on his haunches next to a whiteboard and say, okay, guys, this is how you do. It would be very uh, detailed. Uh, He's a detail-oriented man, as we'll probably find out in this podcast, gents. Um, Why don't we start off, Joe? Let's start off uh, at the very beginning uh, and Pep Guardiola's career, where he started off with Barcelona. Yeah, so he joined, and Ryan, you referenced some of this, but I'll retread over parts of it. He joined La Masia at age 13, not originally from Barcelona, from a town a little ways away but he joined that famed academy and came up through Barcelona's youth system eventually to become a first-team regular under Johan Cruyff, who had had some contact with him and work with him in La Masia. But that was in 91-92, that particular season, that he became a first-team regular under Johan Cruyff. And he went on to win a bunch of stuff. He won multiple La Liga titles. You mentioned that European Cup, Ryan Bailey. And he was heavily influenced by Johan Cruyff along the way. There's a quote 
from Pep that he had earlier on during his tenure as Manchester City manager, but he was talking about Cruyff and said, without him, I wouldn't be here. I know for sure this is why I'm here right now. Again, that was earlier on as coach of Man City. Eventually, after winning a whole bunch of stuff with Barcelona and being a part of some really, really good teams in Spain, he left. So there were 12 seasons and 16 trophies in that time with the first team. He went to Italy and played for a couple of clubs there. Uh, and then he went to Qatar, and then he went to Mexico. And along the way, he played for Bobby Robson and uh, another manager by the name of Juan Manuel Lilo. I'm guessing folks aren't as familiar with, um, but Lilo had coached in Spain for a while when Guardiola was at Barcelona as well, and they'd formed a little bit of a bond in Spain uh, from player to coach on an, uh, on an opposing team, which is kind of a strange set of circumstances. But Pep was so enamored with Lilo that he went to go sign with Dorados in Mexico, a struggling team in Mexico that ended up being relegated. Pep went and played, I think, in 10 games in Mexico and kind of got a crash course in coaching in his last, uh, the last playing stop of his career. And he'd had little influences along the way between Cruyff and Robson and Lilo. And Lilo now is, uh, is one of Pep's assistants at Manchester City. They now work together on a daily basis. You could see, even in his playing career, this is what struck me as I was doing some research and remembering facts, you can see the early seeds being planted by yeah. Cruyff and by Lilo, especially those two, even though Lilo doesn't get as much credit for that, and I think there's understandable reasons. The seeds are being planted back in the 90s and in the 2000s of the manager that Pep Guardiola would eventually become. I totally agree, Joe. And I would say the the aspect of him like being a good coach from the jump seems to even predate Cruyff, that it goes back to when he is a youngster playing in that academy. I read a story about him watching the Barcelona B team run a designed set piece, and then he, Guardiola, as a youngster in the academy, had his teammates try to figure <laughs> out what they had done and kind of set them all up, and, I, and the Barcelona B coaches sort of took note of the fact that here's this young kid who's trying to direct the other players how to make runs and where they need to be to sh to figure out this set piece. And it evolves from there. I think he's always interested in coaching and tactics and player positioning and how to get the best out of players. But I think also from that initial contact with Cruyff on, on through his career, there's the idea that Cruyff had of basically, you can't tell me what to do. <laughs> and, and I mean that not in the like defiant, I do what I want sort of way, but in the constantly questioning norms, constantly que questioning standards of approach. And so that's where Pep, when he comes in to the Barca first team, it's Cruyff sort of taking a risk because at that time, they're more about physical midfielders who can cover a bunch of ground. Pep Guardiola is famously very slow. Cruyff th th said of him, I think after his first game, you're slower than my granny. Uh, always, Johan Cruyff, always a nice guy. But I think the idea of using different personnel in different positions to get the best out of them and to create something new that in a lot of situations ends up being better, yeah. I think that's instilled at a very young age and is incredibly important in the rest of his career. Yeah, and, and Taylor, one thing that was really striking to me doing all this research and reading all these different stories is is even outside of those direct managerial influences uh, is how many other bits of uh, bits and pieces maybe a preview of, mm -hmm. of the coach that Pep would become there were back in his playing days I think about that position Taylor you mentioned it Pep wasn't a fast guy I spent like 30 minutes yesterday watching Pep Guardiola highlights he's just sitting in midfield he's taking set pieces and he's spraying balls right that's all he does he's getting the ball on his right foot He's finding line-breaking passes. He's playing over the top. Who does that sound like? It sounds like every number six that he has ever used, <laughs> right? I mean, you can see how, how obvious it was. And hindsight, of course, is beneficial. I don't think anyone would have predicted that Pep Guardiola would, would become this good as a manager and win this many things. 
but between his position and between the coaches he worked with, between that, those little observances in training as an academy player, all of those things kind of lined up. And I bet if you talked to and really sat down with a lot of the people that were were over Pep in different positions, either who had coached him or who had even played alongside him. There's an anecdote when Pep was playing in Mexico where he uh, apparently instructed one of his teammates to turn faster, right? The turn was taking three seconds and Pep said, hey, you're losing all of this time by taking so long to turn. You've got to fix your technique, not with the end goal of being to fix your technique, but the end goal of being to help the team play faster. I, I bet if you talk to people who are around Pep as a player, you could tell and you, they would tell you that he was pretty much always going to be a really good coach. And and I think also in terms of just him as a player, also inspirational, uh, Michael Cox in his book Zonal Marking has a whole section about this, how when Pep is playing for Barca, there's a lot of players in uh, La Masia who are instructed to watch him and model their game on him. Two of those players who from a very young age modeled themselves on Pep Guardiola would be guys by the name of Xavi and Iniesta, Ooh, both of whom, when he moves on, <laughs> uh, play that role. And are you, Xavi briefly is played as a number six. Iniesta plays as a number six. And it's actually, to my understanding, it's Pep, when he comes back to Barcelona, starts using them in different ways. Xavi was already in a more advanced position at that point, but he uses them a bit differently and obviously gets a much better result out of them but still interesting that like so many players coming through La Masia that he would eventually go on to coach started off by watching him as a player. Taylor to what extent do you feel like the stars aligned perfectly for Pep Guardiola in that obviously he was talented enough to get to La Masia but then he ends up you know under the tutelage of one of the greatest of all time Johan Cruyff he works under the greatest person of all time Sir Bobby Robson and, you know, has these players who come up through La Masia to work for him eventually as a coach. It seems like it's not like he came from the wilderness and had to, I don't want to say that he didn't have to work his way up, but mm-hmm. he, had, he had a fortunate past, should we say, Taylor? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, and that's that's a criticism of him now at Man City. It's like, is he, I still have friends who will say, like, is he that good of a manager or did he go out and spend 150 million euros two seasons in a row and suddenly Bar- Man City got way better? And you can take that approach. I, I think a thing that stood out to me in doing a bunch of research about him is that it seems like his mentality is always, I, I'm a failure. It seems to be that he doesn't really praise himself for his successes, but focuses on the things he gets wrong, the mistakes he makes. And so even in success, there's always, we didn't press well, we didn't do this, we didn't have the possession we needed. And that became kind of a hallmark of him later on. They'd win five to one and he would still be annoyed because the passing was off. Mm -hmm. But I think that is sort of what allowed him to have that trajectory, that if you're always focused on what comes next, how do we improve from here? I think it's the mentality you need. But another telling uh, point of Michael Cox's book is that I forget who the quote came from, but it was about how Pep is from the generation that didn't have inherited wealth, that didn't think he was inheriting his parents' property and had knew that he had to go out and sort of secure his own future. And so even if he kind of comes through the academy and then gets into Barcelona and from there, if you play for Barca, you're kind of like key to the world. I think he still has the mentality and background mm. to believe that he has to keep working, he has to keep striving, and that's what we've seen of him so far. All right. Some fascinating insight into Pep's early years there, and particularly about his uh, his playing career there, Joe, uh, in particular him um, 
following Lilo and getting stitched in Mexico, if you will. <laughs> Do you like that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I should have known that was coming, Rain. Well, You're very welcome. You're very yeah, welcome. Good job. All right, let's take a very short break to uh, just get over the chuckles and laughter from that excellent It's line. over. Yeah, it's over. Okay, okay, good. Um, <laughs> we'll take a breather regardless. When we come back, let's talk about um, when Pep introduced himself to the world on the big stage as a coach at the new Camp. Uh, back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Soccer 101, welcome back. We are talking about Mr. Pep Guardiola. Um, Joseph Lowry, Pep Guardiola came to take the reins as Barcelona as coach in 2008-2009. He coached the B team before that, though, didn't he? And um, suffice to say, he had a pretty good debut season. But um, perhaps uh, we could offer a little context of how he got there, maybe his time with the B team and where Barca were at at the stage when he took the reins. Sure. So Pep Guardiola finishes his playing career in 2006, and he's taking his coaching badges at the end of his career. He's getting the Lilo crash course, and that, that Lilo team was defensive, and they were resolute, and Pep had to find his way in that team. So he learned a bunch of different things from different coaches throughout his playing career and took over a Barca B shortly after. Right, It hadn't been long since he'd finished up, and he got that team promoted. In, the, in 2007, he got them promoted, promoted at the end of that year in 2008, and basically one year after that, or one year after he took over, Juan Laporta announces that Guardiola would take over the senior team at the end of the season. So they were going to make a coaching change, and Guardiola, after just one season with Barcelona B, was going to take over the first team, which is a big deal, right? That is a massive risk. I know I've been the one saying, yeah, you could tell he was, he was kind of going to be a good coach all along. Still, to make that decision is a real risk. I was trying to think of other times in history, maybe in recent soccer history, where this has happened, and the one that came to mind quickly was Pirlo at Juventus, where he goes and coaches, I believe, their U23 team, and then after one season or maybe not even a full season, like a he's week. promoted. Yeah, he, he's already up to the first team, and I think he probably was better at that job than a lot of folks gave him credit for, but he, he wasn't as good as Pep Guardiola, right? It had been a couple of years for Barcelona, the senior team, since they'd won a La Liga title. Real Madrid had won the last couple of years before Pep gets in to Barcelona in 2008, and they're losing players. They're losing key players more than that. Ronaldinho, gone. Deco, gone. There's a few other players that leave as well. Pep, in response to that, and maybe this was always the plan, promoted a bunch of players from the B team to the senior team, including Sergio Busquets and Pedro, who are both key parts of Pep's Barcelona dynasty, basically, is what it was. He also brought Dani Alves over from Sevilla, and, and they lost their first La Liga game of the year, and then they went on a 20-match unbeaten streak. They secured their first La Liga title since 2006, and they won the treble that year. Pep, to be clear, had never coached at the senior level before, brought a bunch of academy players up with him, a bunch of players from, from the reserves up with him, 
and did something that Barcelona hadn't done in a couple of years and started a dynasty. For a first season, guys, that is not too shabby. Yeah. Joe, I, I agree. I would say the other one that I think connects similarly would be Zidane at Real Madrid, where he's, yeah, with, he's an assistant, then he's with the Castilla team. After two seasons, things aren't working out with Benitez, and Zidane takes over. But I would say even there, there's a difference, because by all accounts, Zidane was the first choice once Benitez is sacked. With Barcelona, I do think they looked elsewhere. There's uh, reports that they talked to Michael Laudrup about taking over, and when he either wasn't interested or couldn't get out of his deal, they settled on, well, we'll give it to this guy, and you know, we, he's, a, he's a club legend. We'll see what happens. He's a club legend that we unceremoniously ousted and spread rumors about to get him out the door, but sure, we'll have him back. I think that was really interesting to me, learning that... Barcelona weren't particularly good to Pep Guardiola when he was a player. And by the end of it, as a manager, kind of didn't have a great relationship with the board. So that was a kind of like illusion smasher right away that I had this idea that he loved Barcelona and it was this great relationship throughout. And he loved Catalonia. He loved the people of, of Barcelona. I'm not sure he loved the club so much, but they definitely loved him after that first season because he gets the results he does and he gets them against it were like within the backdrop of Real Madrid having won the last two titles with them embarrassing Barcelona, who had yeah. to give them a guard of honor and then lost to them four to one. And it's just it's just amazing to me that he's able to take over this team and 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 have the success he did. But also at the same time, for some of the reasons we've already laid out, it does make sense. It just only makes sense in retrospect at the time. It yeah. felt like it was this sort of world defying feat he was pulling off. Taylor, we saw, um, as Joe said, some big names leave Barcelona at the start of Pep's tenure and some new players come in. What kind of uh, Pep hallmarks, if you will, did we see in that inaugural, inaugural, I don't want to call it his inaugural season, Mm -hmm. his first season when he won the treble? Did we we see tenets that we still see today in his game? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, The biggest one would be that it takes him, I think it's only the third game that he starts Xavi Iniesta and uh, Busquets together. Uh, But that becomes obviously the hallmark of that uh, Barcelona team. And he does mirror the 4-3-3, occasionally a 3-4-3 that Johan Cruyff went with. But I think the reliance on academy players from the jump like sets him apart and then the continued reliance on them obviously bringing through Thiago and then bringing him to Bayern later on there there's still La Masia is so front and center in his thinking because it's representative of the style of play he wants to go with and we see in that first season aggressive sweeper keeper we see the the high the high line the defensive line pushed up so that you can press more effectively we see more and more pressing as that first season goes on doesn't really have the conventional center forward, which, again, becomes a hallmark of many of his teams. And it's all about possession for him, the idea of uh, stability and that you don't leave yourself as vulnerable to counterattacks if if you have everybody exactly where they need to be. And the way to do that is through possession. The 15-pass uh, golden rule, I think, was his thing of you can't really get people where they need to be until you've completed at least 15 passes. And that, over time, becomes a sort of criticism of his Barca teams that they score one goal and then it's death by a thousand passes. But that that sort of later on becomes a boring thing, quote unquote. But I think in the beginning, it's more of a, a thrilling, impressive, how is this team able to keep the ball the way they are and just completely flummox opposition players so frequently and so readily? Yeah. Joe, um, when Pep comes in in that first season... He does literally the best job you could possibly do as a coach (laughs) at the top level. And it leaves you thinking, where on earth can you go from there? And so can we talk about maybe the evolution of this Barcelona team, what we saw in the years afterwards? I mean, for example, the the 2011 team that won the Champions League two, two seasons later... 
I think Sir Alex Ferguson says it's the best team he's ever seen in that yeah. final. Okay, yeah, I mean Manchester United in that final. Like, did we see a big jump from there? How, how consistent did Pep stay from that point? Because I can imagine, as a coach, as anyone, as any kind of professional, if you hit the very peak when you start, I mean, the only way is down in many ways. Yeah, and, and there were changes along the way. I think it's important to emphasize that the principles stayed largely the same. Taylor, you mentioned the 15-pass rule. That is something today, and I know we're talking a 14-year gap between today and 2022 and when Pep takes over in 2008, maybe a little less than 14 years, but that doesn't really happen as much now. So there have been changes. City today, and I think Bayern Munich and even Barcelona, maybe towards the end of Pep's tenure, they were a little more aggressive and a little quicker with some of the ball movement. And now I think we're seeing the most pragmatic version of Pep Guardiola that we've ever seen with Manchester City. When we think back to recent games against Liverpool, where City have found success playing balls over the top and going long and having success with direct runners in behind, that's maybe not something we would have seen on day one. But if we're looking at Barcelona, some of the personnel changed, first of all. So you have different changes at the six. uh, You have different players moving on. And you have some different rotations as well. I was watching a couple of videos and watching some footage. And you have the number six rotating into the back line to form a temporary three at the back shape. You have different positioning with the forwards and different instructions for those players as well based off of who's playing and and when they're playing. The best example, I know this is in 2011, but is Leo Messi being played as a false nine before a Clasico against Real Madrid. They bring Messi into the coaching office and say, hey, yeah, you're going to be playing centrally today. And it worked. And Barcelona absolutely walloped Real Madrid that day in 2009. So you have tactical tweaks, but the overarching principles are the same. And I think that's still true almost 15 years on. Another another tenet, I would wager, of Pep at Barcelona is, is maybe less tactical and more about the narrative that drove Pep and Jose Mourinho. I think that's yeah. a fascinating part of Pep Guardiola's career, not just in Spain, but also today in England as well. Again, as we're recording, when Pep's coach of Manchester City, you have, you have Pep versus Mourinho at Real Madrid and Barcelona, and then you have Pep versus Jurgen Klopp with City and Liverpool. And I think those battles have helped the, the narrative surrounding Pep and just his overall fame grow exponentially. I, I think Pep is still famous and he's still revered and regarded as an excellent coach if Jose Mourinho and Jurgen Klopp don't exist. But those battles, and especially Pep's early record against, against Real Madrid in La Liga, and, and just in general, really, but especially in La Liga, they won five straight Clásicos in La Liga after Pep Guardiola took over. So five straight wins over Real Madrid. Again, when we think about the context of what, what Barcelona was really when Pep took over, that's even more impressive than it is out of context. And overall, you win six out of eight against Real Madrid in La Liga during his time at Barcelona. And uh, overall, against Jose Mourinho, you generally got the better of him. 25 total games in all competitions, including other competitions outside of Spain. 12 wins for Pep, 6 draws, and 7 losses. So getting a result in 18 of those 25 games. The record against Klopp is basically even. It's 9 wins and 10 losses with 5 draws for Pep. So Klopp has a slight edge as we're recording. But still, those battles, in addition to all of the tactical things that, that Pep didn't necessarily pioneer, but really did bring to prominence in the modern era. I think those two pieces are maybe the two most interesting parts of Pep's coaching career for me. Yeah, I want to stick with the Mourinho thing, because I agree with everything Joe has said. But I think that is such an interesting point in his career, because again, from what I've read, it is Pep's low point. I think he really, really hated that rivalry with Mourinho because I think he it wore him down a lot. I don't think he loves being in front of cameras. I don't think he loves 
having to deliver in press conferences, and he has that famous outburst about I, I, I won't curse, but he has a couple different curse words in a, in a press conference about how Jose Mourinho has already won the media games, and there's nothing he can do, and and there's the brawl, there's the the eye poke to Tito Villanova, there's just so many moments in that rivalry that I think wore him down, and are part of the reason why Pep takes the sabbatical and ends up leaving. Um, and I am a Jose Mourinho fan. I think it's 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 easy to kind of overlook all of the things he has done in his career. But with that on, if you are Jose Mourinho or a fan of Jose Mourinho, you can go ahead and earmuff for a couple minutes. Because <laughs> I think the thing that's so fascinating to me is that Mourinho was brought to Real Madrid, one of the biggest clubs in the world, with the mandate of basically beat Pep, beat Barcelona, find a way to get us back on top because they are this dominant force. And that is what that tenure is largely about for Jose Mourinho at Real Madrid. And you see his tactics evolve into playing Pepe as the roaming central midfielder who like knocks people off the ball and ends up getting a red card. And it's about winning the physical, physical matches and playing on the counter and playing on the break. And that is at the time, it was a source of much debate about Jose Mourinho taking this team that had for so much of their history been this, like swashbuckling, free-flowing, attacking team and making them defensive and countering against a Barcelona team under Pep that are evolving and finding new ways to possess and create and score goals that I I really do think you come away from that rivalry and it's Pep is sort of the good guy. Pep is Luke Skywalker and Jose Mourinho is Darth Vader and, and he finds a way to get results in the end, Jose Mourinho. But I think it comes at the expense of really like steering into him being the true villain that I think he becomes after that stint with Madrid and then his second stint at Chelsea and even with Man United and Spurs after that. And and in contrast, Pep, I think, goes away, takes that year, comes back to Bayern and, and kind of has like rediscovered his joy for the game, but also continued to evolve his approach. And that rivalry with Mourinho was so big because it's Messi versus Ronaldo, it's Pep versus Jose, it's Barca versus Real Madrid. But I think it's also important because he didn't really like it. And I think it's one of the things that like wore him down and, and made him look to greener pastures. Joe, you've mentioned some of the, the, the tactics and the evolution thereof uh, in, in Pep's locker. Um, can we touch on perhaps his influence in a way? Mm. Like, for example, um, I worked for, for, for a few years for Charlotte FC. And when they were setting up the team, the, the, when they were saying, what kind of team do you want to be? It was like, we want to be possession-based. We want to be attacking. Mm. We want to have fullbacks who push up the field. And we want to entertain. And, all, you know, that's kind of a blueprint in some ways that Pep set and that has been popularized by many other teams. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. Ryan, I think to reiterate something I, I mentioned earlier, Pep didn't invent any of this stuff or, or maybe very little of the things that we see from his teams, but he certainly popularized it, right? I mean, he certainly popularized some of the outrageous passes and positioning we see from different goalkeepers. You could see that with Victor Valdez at Barcelona, who played some unreal passes. I had such a good time yesterday watching Barcelona footage from 2008 into 2012. And good gracious, that team would hold up today, I think, which is not always something you can say about a team a decade and a half after they really rose to prominence. And I I think that's incredibly impressive. But that also speaks to the fact that this team and and Pep in general sort of modernized a lot of these tactical elements and he, he popularized them as well. You have... Valdez into Neuer with his positioning with Bayern Munich. And then today you have Ederson at, at Manchester City, who is maybe the most outrageous passer of any goalkeeper I've ever seen, right? I mean, you have these things all the way through that then popularize, right? To use Charlotte as an example, which is maybe a little bit of a niche example for this show, but I think it's a good one. You have uh, Christian Kalina, goalkeeper for Charlotte FC right now. Maybe he's not when folks are listening. 
but he plays some outrageous oh passes, and he's really good with his feet. <laughs> and you see Miguel Angel Ramirez on the sideline for Charlotte, and he looks like Pep Guardiola, not just because of his physical appearance, although that is part of it, but also in how he dresses and some of his mannerisms. Mm. You see him influencing all sorts of different parts of the game. I think another massive part of Pep's legacy, and he would probably point this back to Cruyff, but for us today, I think it's easier to look to Pep than to Cruyff because of the recency factor. He popularized how so many of the biggest teams in the world play today, right? He is a big part of the reason why when you see a high-profile club, I think about Chelsea, maybe when Conte take over, or I think about Manchester United even now. That's probably a better example. People want them to be dynamic on the ball. They want Mm -hmm. them to be entertaining and thrilling to watch because that's what Pep did, right? That's what some of the best teams, the best team in Spain for four years from 2008 to 2012, basically, the best team in Germany when Pep's coaching Bayern Munich, and that's still the case now because they're Bayern Munich, and now the best team consistently in England over the last few years. Those are maybe the three best, three of the four best leagues in the entire world. And Pep Guardiola has gone and played his way and influenced pretty much every other big team. Not all of them, but a lot of other big teams along the way, and even the small teams too. Well, a, a team um, that he probably has influenced uh, m- uh, more than others on the national stage, Taylor, would be the Spanish national team. When the Spanish national team were at their very peak, it kind of coincided with Barcelona's peak as well under him, you could argue. And there's some shared ideologies there, perhaps? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think I'm glad we're doing this episode because I would have absolutely said if we just did this uh, like off the cuff, I would have said, yeah, like his Barcelona team have this great success. And that's what leads to a bunch of players going to that Spain team in 2008. Not the case because he's still with Barcelona B. Those Barca players are already uh, with that Spain team that ends up winning in 2008, but they win via principles of possession and having technical ability. uh, And that continues to be a hallmark of that Spain national team. And I think that sort of opens the door for, okay, if we're, if the national team is winning this way, then we want to kind of embrace it even more. And because there is that sort of intertwined philosophy, uh, you have nine national team players who uh, with Spain coming from Barcelona, six of them coming from Catalonia, uh, Xavi, Busquets, Fabregas, Pique, Puyo, Alba, Iniesta, David Villa, and Pedro. And and so the influence of Barcelona on Spain is is pretty obvious because once you have that midfield three that works so well of Xavi, Iniesta, Busquets, you're not going to move away from that. Why would you? If Barcelona are winning everything, why not play more or less the same team? Because you can. It's also interesting to me to go back to the Mourinho uh, rivalry, how that ends up kind of being a factor in the team's downfall, that as the rivalry between the two clubs gets worse and worse and culminates in that brawl that I mentioned previously, it spills into the national team. And you have huge rifts formed between people that were good friends for a good long while. And Iker Casillas notably falls out with uh, Jared Piquet, who I think he had been fairly tight with previously, over that brawl and over some kind of differences in approach. And it becomes a a split locker room by all accounts. And so even there, it's Barcelona and Real Madrid sort of spilling into the national team. Uh, So that's certainly a major area where Pep has has strong influence. But I think in the clubs that he has managed since, you can see it. And even with Bayern Munich today – that Bayern had this, and I had kind of forgotten this, but Bayern had an identity and certainly had had won plenty in their history, and he inherits a team that had won the treble. But he does change their identity, and he makes them play differently. And I forgot that after his first season, he gets rid of a player like Bastian Schweinsteiger. He swaps Tony Cruz uh, for, I forget who, oh, for Ch- uh, for Chavi Alonso, which is like... 
like, so antithetical to what Bayern Munich had been previously of, of letting Germans leave and bringing in Spaniards and what, what's happening here. And instead, <laughs> he molds his Dutch-Spanish approach because he's got the Cruyff influence into Barcelona. He molds that with a German approach, which is based on uh, trying to deal with counterattacking because the whole thing when he moves to the Bundesliga is how good all the Bundesliga teams are at counterattacking, that that's where we see him start to be a bit more direct. And he uses Jerome Boateng to ping balls over the top and then Xavi Alonso to do the same uh, later on. And, and so there's that adaptability that is still baked into his fundamental approach, the way he wants to play, but he will change it up a little bit. And so he picks up pieces of the identities of the leagues that he, he manages in, of the teams that he coaches. And I think that's what sets him up to have the success he has at Manchester City is he's now bringing a Dutch-Spanish-German approach to England. And I think that blends really well. Well, Big T, we've covered off the Spanish section of his career there and we've hinted there at his time, uh, his lederhosen period and his heavy knit sweater periods. Uh, so why don't we take a quick break and we'll tuck in to Pep's time in Germany and England thereafter. Back shortly. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Soccer 101, welcome back. Taylor Rockwell, we were talking before the break about Pep's time with Bayern Munich and the way he Mm -hmm. kind of transformed things. Bayern, uh, a traditional team in a traditional league, if you will, and he did some shaking up of things. Yeah, and, and I think Joe talked about this, but this is obviously when he, he first starts having kind of a regular interaction or competition with Jurgen Klopp and then later Thomas Tuchel. And that, I think, shakes him up a little bit because the intensity of the pressing, the intensity of the counterattacking makes him have to continue to do the things he does, he wants to do, of kind of keeping that possession to nullify the threat of the counter. But he also adjusts what he, what he's going to do based on the options available to him at Bayern. Notably, when he's brought in, there is much consternation about what will happen with Robin and Ribery because at Barca, he wanted his wide attackers to stay wide. Uh, and Robin and Ribery are not going to do that. They're going to cut inside and shoot. And so there was kind of a concern that these two very important players for Bayern wouldn't fit in. And would they find themselves sitting on the bench? Would they have to be sold for cheap? And instead, they become his two most important attackers, at least in those first cut, like season. Um, and he plays into their strengths. He has them cut inside. He, he adjusts what he's doing to make sure that he still has coverage out wide, but coverage through the middle. It's all about the balance that he wants to strike. And so he plays into their strengths. He gets great, great performances out of them. But in his first season, that was the one where they brought in Mario Götze. And the idea there, I think, was that Götze would do what Messi did for Barcelona. And Götze would be the false nine who could move around and give him more midfield options. But 
uh, because Gutze is so often injured that first season, he ends up relying on Mario Mandzukic. And I think Claudio Pizarro is still there as well. Uh, and so that's his first time really successfully being able to use a big man up top. He had worked with Zlatan. That famously did not go well. Uh, but with Bayern, it does. And then Robert Lewandowski comes in, and that is the not necessarily like the biggest big man, but we know how good he's been for Bayern. And that Pep basically ends up with a Bayern Munich team that has like an out and out number nine and inverted wingers is very much against what he was doing with Barca. And this is also the Bayern team, as I said, that that utilizes the kind of direct play over the top, but it still all works out. And and that he's able to adjust what he's doing somewhat, but keep the fundamental ideas. I think that's so important because if he just stuck with the, no, we have to play this way. It has to be done like this these guys have to go, it's basically he moves to Bayern Munich and then gets rid of the entire Bayern Munich team instead of moving to Bayern Munich, moving some players on, bringing through young players, bringing over Thiago, uh, and getting the best out of the players that were already there, and he evolves Bayern Munich and I think leads them to making some of the, de- of the decisions they make down the road. Maybe this is a bit too far, but I would say even bringing in Nagelsmann feels like a decision that maybe they wouldn't have made before because it's Bayern Munich having to change a little bit of their DNA to suit their new manager who wants to do things differently. But that's what they did with Pep, and it worked out. So why not do it with Nagelsmann? And so I think he's he's sort of influential in that way as well. Indeed. Uh, Pep spent three seasons in Germany, won the league in each season, a couple of DFB Pokals, uh, the FIFA Club World Cup as well. And then, Joseph... Uh, he makes his way to Manchester City uh, in 2016. And um, it's interesting to think about the history then. And it's interesting to think how Man City basically were setting up for the arrival of Pep Guardiola for many years beforehand. They had the director of football, as I mentioned at the top of the show, was Chiki Bajiristan, his former colleague. And even the style of play that City were incorporating with managers leading up to Guardiola seemed to be almost paving the way for his arrival and the kind of players they were getting too. Um, but also, his first season in C- with City didn't go terribly well. And he, I think he said worse to the effect of, if I finished this low in the league with Bayern, I would have been fired. And he wasn't fired. He went on and done rather well with City since. Which was absolutely the right call by Manchester City. There's a lot of negative things we can say about Man City and, and probably have said and will say again in the future. But their, their forward and long-term planning is clearly and was clearly very, very good because they had the vision to realize that we need to give this a little bit of time. And, and yes, this is maybe the, the first time that it had taken Pep Guardiola a while to achieve something in his first season. Barca, Barca B, he achieves something, he achieves promotion. Barcelona in his first year, he wins a treble. Bayern Munich in his first year, I believe he wins a double. You have it, including the league, right? So you have a ton of success from Pep in his first season everywhere. Not so much at City, but very much after that. I think Manchester City, I, I don't know if we can compare or decide that one of these teams is necessarily better than any of the others. I think his Barcelona team is certainly the most historic and impactful for reasons we've already talked about. But man, the work that he has accomplished with Manchester City, and money is a huge part of this, right? I think that is a a forced pairing to Pep's managerial brilliance because he has spent so much money in a number of different places. But at City, he gets the players he wants. He spends a bunch of money on fullbacks, which I think we can say now was pretty much money well spent. Not in every situation. Danilo didn't work out all that well. Mundy as, as well didn't really work out a ton but getting Kyle Walker from Tottenham and getting Joao Cancelo involved in this team has changed them, right? And we saw some of that tactical evolution from Pep back at Bayern. Taylor, you walked us through some of that. The fullbacks as well 
were a big tweak with David Alaba and Philip Lam at times occupying more narrow positions in a way that Danny Alves, certainly on the right for Barcelona, did not, right? And even now today with Xavi coaching Barcelona, we're seeing Danny Alves finish the cycle and now he plays sometimes as that inverted fullback on the right side, tucking into midfield and, and providing technical quality and counter-pressing value in those spaces. Pep did that at Bayern and he brought a lot of those similar traits to Manchester City with Cancelo, with Walker at times and, and with Zinchenko as well on the left with a lot of those different players. Man City gave him some time to let his, his abilities and the tactics sink into players and to let him organize things. And with all of the things they've won, I know there's not been a Champions League and that is a sore, a sore subject, but for all of the work that they've done and all of the performances they put in, I think obviously his time at City is an unquestioned success. Yeah, I completely agree, Joe. And and I think I also want to stress that, yes, he's bought a ton of players for a ton of money. More on that in a moment. But looking at the team that he inherits in that first season, like, Ryan, you're absolutely right that they had been sort of preparing for him, and this had kind of long been rumored. I think discussions start very much in advance of when he ends up actually becoming the manager. But looking at their roster for a moment when he takes over, there are familiar names in there. There's Raheem Sterling, there's Sergio Aguero, there's David Silva, there's Kevin De Bruyne, even Fernandinho. But looking at the other names in there, and specifically the ages of that squad, I, I believe I'm correct in saying that uh, of the kind of first team, only two players were under the age of, or were 24 or under. One of them is Raheem Sterling. One of them is uh, Mangala, who obviously was not up to standard. Aside from them, your starting defense was Kolderov on the left or Gal Clichy, both of whom were 30. On the right, you had Zabaleta or Sanya. Zabaleta was 31. Sanya was 33. Di and company in the middle. Di was 35. Company was 30. You had Joe Hart in goal, who he immediately said, you're not going to work for me. Samir Nasri on the right wing. Jesus Navas there as well, but both of them getting up there in years. Uh, Yaya Torre, 33. It's an older team, and it's a team that isn't built to play the way he wants to play. And that first season, he has to do a ton of experimentation because... The Premier League is much more physical, and pressing is is starting to become uh, very much in vogue. And so... You have this City team that are being pressed, but they're trying to build out of the back. And we can remember those early games when it was Joe Hart passing the ball straight to the opposition because he was not comfortable on the ball. And the City defense kept getting overwhelmed because you didn't really have possession-oriented fullbacks. Or you would have Otamendi deputizing as a left center back, but with a right foot, so he couldn't really pass the way it was required. That meant Fernandinho has to drop in. The whole team has to kind of try to drop back, or the fullbacks move central. But that first season is Pep really trying to figure out how to make a bunch of these parts work. Ultimately, he sort of does in that they qualify for the Champions League, but it is their lowest finish. And put it in context then, going out and spending the amount he did on very young players, many of whom are still core performers for this team, and uh, and and some who maybe are not for varying reasons that we can or can't get into, because I don't know how much we want to talk about Benjamin Mendy, uh, but like Kyle Walker being so instrumental a- after like that, I think he's the second wave of signings. The first wave of Gunduan, Sané, Zinchenko, Stones, and Gabriel Jesus has a pretty sizable impact. Bring in a Derrison, as Jordy mentioned, to have the distribution. Uh, like all of that continues to build Manchester City into just this juggernaut that they, that they are. And I think when you look at them and see how much money is spent, it becomes like, well, yeah, again, anybody could win if you're able to spend as much money as you want on any given player. But I think we see that he's trying to sign very specific players to do very specific things. And when those players aren't capable of that or don't quite work out, 
sometimes I think he gives them the instruction and works with them and coaches them up. But I think if there's not an inclination to change what they're doing or to kind of um, incorporate his ideas, then he is more than happy to move them on and find somebody else who will. And when you're Man City, you're going to have to pay that city tax. And so some of those signings, I think, are always going to be probably five to ten million more than other clubs would have been asked to pay. But there's there's still bargains in there because I would say a Darrison now for thirty five million pounds, kind of a steal when you then have seventy eighty million pound transfers only a season or two later for goalkeepers. There is some value in there. He is able to get some players to come good. Gundogan for 20 million pounds would be another one in my mind. So there's money spent. Sometimes it doesn't work out, but a lot of times it does, and he's able to bring in players that he can then help evolve in their careers from there. What What do you say, Taylor, about the criticism of Pep uh, in that you know, he can only do it if he's got the greatest player of all time or if he's got a huge checkbook? Because you mentioned the phrase anyone could do it if you could spend any mm. amount of money. But, you know, the other team in Manchester very much disproves that. He's, he, exactly. It does, it does take more than that, doesn't it? It really does. I, I, I think, number one, the pedigree that he brings means that people are going to listen to him. And, and that's a thing that we heard about going back to, if you want to stick with Man United, that's a thing that we heard about with David Moyes, that people, that global superstars were coming in and being like, yeah, like he was good with Everton, I guess. I looked him up. Like, there's not that reputation there that's going to get people truly on board. And I think the same applies to even Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, certainly with Ralph Rangnick, whereas Pep, I think, instantly has this. He coached one of the best club teams in the world. Uh, he coached a very, very good club team and got really great results out of them. And now he's coming to Manchester City, a club with all the money. It just seems like a match made in heaven. But I think his intensity and his sort of, I don't even know what the word would be, because I shouldn't say obsession, but basically obsession with how he wants to play. He's constantly working. He's constantly evolving. And I think he expects the same of his players. And it creates, it's it's what happened with Ferguson at Manchester United. It, and Simeone at Atleti would be another example. I think it does create a sort of cult of personality and not in a negative way. But if you sign for Man City, you know what you're getting into. And if you don't want to be part of it, Yaya Torre famously does not fit twice. Doesn't fit at Barcelona, yeah. doesn't fit at Man City. It's it sort of, he is not going to... I shouldn't say suffer fools, but he's not going to suffer with people that don't really want to be there or don't quite fit with the approach, regardless of what you've been paid, regardless of how much was paid for your transfer. And I think that it takes that level of intensity, but that level of reputation to get so many superstars and high priced millionaires to come together to play as a team. That is no small feat in my mind. And I think you're absolutely right to point out that there are many teams with more money who are not, or as much money, uh, who are not nearly as capable of doing that. Yeah, let's pour some out for Yaya Torre as well. Get sold yeah. by Pep at Barcelona. Then sees, oh, who are we getting as new manager at Man City? Oh, right, he's going to sell me again, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> poor guy, poor guy. Um, Joe, we, of course, economics play a huge part in Pep's success and, and the kind, the caliber of teams he's worked with. But he is a man who, as we say, is very intense and he's all about the extra 1%, isn't he? He's um, like, for example, uh, there's an anecdote about, uh, you know, the way he gets the ball boys to work uh, <laughs> yeah. in certain games. Yeah, that is a really great example, Ryan. So earlier this year in the Champions League, Manchester City played uh, against Atleti at the Etihad in Manchester and Pep was understandably concerned about Atletico Madrid time-wasting because they were always going to defend deep under Diego Simeone in that game. They were going to try to get out with some sort of result. And they didn't, at least in part, in a very small part, Ryan, but I think 1% is, is a fair percentage of credit to assign. 
in part because of the ball boys. Pep Guardiola recorded a, a special video message for the ball boys to tell them, hey, like concentrate on this game and your role in this game as if you were actually playing, right? So as you were playing in this match yourselves, and they did. There were several instances, and there was a good piece on The Athletic about this after the game, several instances where the cameras caught the ball boys being very quick to react and very quick to respond, even when Atletico Madrid players were attempting to time waste, they were engaged. And it's, it's such a silly example, right? It's, it's players from cities U12 and U14 teams, but it is, I think, a microcosm of the detail-oriented approach that Pep Guardiola has taken throughout his career, both his playing career all the way back to his academy days, now all the way through to his current status as, a, I think, a 51-year-old manager, right? So you have that anecdote. There's, there's one other, I think, of Pep trying to get as much value as he can from all sorts of different things. He's inspired by rugby in certain ways. I'm guessing other sports as well. Basketball, I'm sure, is involved there. But he looks to other sports, like a lot of coaches do, to, to draw inspiration. So former Japan rugby head coach Eddie Jones who helped Japan beat... I went down the rugby rabbit hole pretty deep, guys. Apparently, Eddie Jones helped Japan beat South Africa in the 2015 Rugby World Cup, which is one of the biggest rugby upsets of all time. I, I, I guess that's true. I don't know. But either way, Eddie Jones, rugby guy, came to Bayern in 2015 to watch Pep train. And they talked, and they've talked since then, about the similarities between the sports and things they can learn. And Pep took things from rugby, like usage of space, uh, both offensively and defensively. You can see some of that with counterpressing and see some of that with having options around you to play the next pass. That's certainly important in rugby. And then as well as uh, those things, as well as player regeneration. Rugby players take a, a lot of damage to their bodies on a, regular on a regular basis. And Pep was interested to learn about how he could apply some of the medical techniques, how he could get his staff to apply those to have his players ready and, and maybe just that 1% fitter than the opposition. So I think there's probably dozens of those kinds of anecdotes out there, but the, the ball boys, the 1% coming from that, and maybe a 1% on the regen side or on the spacing side coming from rugby, maybe it's 0.1%. I don't know. <laughs> but I do think that is a big part of what makes Pep Guardiola such a good coach. Definitely so. All right, we've learned a lot about Mr. Guardiola in, uh, in this pod, Taylor. I think I have one final question. Mm -hmm. Where does he sit in sort of the pantheon of all-time greats in 10 years after he retires? Where are we going to look at Pep in, in, in the context of things? And if he doesn't, say, bring a Champions League to Man City, does that affect the way we regard his career? Probably, even though that's probably unfair. I think to not win another Champions League does sort of feel like, just in terms of going over all of like his history for this episode, it felt like that is the final sort of concluding thing. Not necessarily that he'll win the Champions League and then retire, but it is the thing that bookends his career. If you start with Champions League, you want to win one more. I, I think if he does that, and maybe even if he doesn't, I think 10 years from now, he is probably looked upon as, if not the best coach in history then he's maybe top three maybe top five but I would put him up there because even comparing him to Cruyff Cruyff famously has flame outs and falling outs and doesn't have a like as much success certainly has success as a manager but hasn't had the kind of jumps to huge teams and then continued to have the stability that Pep Guardiola has and continued to evolve and implement new approaches and new ideas and I think Absence will make the heart grow fonder and looking back on some of his teams, especially that Barcelona team and just seeing how 
excellent they were, but also how he's able to get the best out of so many names, including Lionel Messi. I just think that cannot be overlooked in terms of what he's done for Barcelona, for Bayern Munich, for Manchester City, for the sport in general. I hope he wins another Champions League. Maybe not with Man City. Uh, maybe with Man United. Let's get him to Man United and see what happens. But How about, uh, a, how about a CONCACAF Champions League? Yeah, Taylor? let's do that. Uh, I, mean, uh. I, may, I don't think I like that idea, actually, Joe. I like that a lot. I have a sinking feeling it would be in Mexico and not the United States. But yeah, let's get him to an MLS team. I don't, we've had this conversation before. I don't think he would be a great international manager now, but maybe that's a thing where later on, if he gets burnt out again and just wants to try something different, he changes up his approach again and maybe he ends up winning a World Cup. But even if he doesn't do that, I think he will still be one of, if not the greatest managers of all time. I'd I'd say, Taylor, uh, for those who think, um, you know, Pep, Pep's Champions League winning days have passed it. I think of someone like Jupp Heynckes, mm-hmm. who won the treble with Bayern Munich in 2013. That was his second spell in charge of Bayern Munich. He'd been coaching for like four decades at that mm-hmm. point. It was, so he, he, Pep's 51. I'm saying he's got a couple of decades to get this done, and that feels extremely likely that he's going to do it with one team or another in the next two decades, does it not? It does. It absolutely does, because... Uh, he now has that that persona and that reputation that I think any club he goes to, it's going to be like, well, this guy knows what he's doing. And and I think an important thing to note, because it's more than just he knows what he's doing, but it's that it's like, don't even try to question him. Don't doubt anything he's saying. And I think a huge part of that is that evolution, because we've seen managers have that same cachet in the past. Jose Mourinho, to go back to him for a moment, has that. But the the lack of evolution or the lack of sort of innovative ideas past those initial ones yes he can still organize a defensive team yes he can still do certain things and adapt his team on certain occasions but I don't think he has kind of kept it up in a way that's required to stay at the top whereas Pep has and continues to evolve and adapt and change things and maybe sometimes too much but I think that will give him that license years from now to continue to be a manager who can come in get a team playing a certain way. Ideally, if they already have a little bit of that influence, then maybe they're going to do it a little bit better. But I think he, yeah, I could see him managing into his 70s and having that success at the same time. Oh, imagine how intense he'll be in his 70s. I can't wait for that, Tato. Um, Joe, last word from you on this. Uh, how, how do you place Pep in the all-time greats? And if you think about someone like Scott Parker, for example, who's brought, <laughs> now brought two... Hang on, see where I'm going with this. He's brought two teams up from the Championship to the Premier League, which is an incredibly difficult thing to do. That's something Pep's never likely to do in his career because he's not going to be in that kind of club. I mean, where do, where do we place him in terms of those kind of feats and the all-time pantheon, Joe? Probably above Scott Parker, I think. <laughs> really? Um, sorry. Controversial like opinion. Wild, jarring, like, name to drop in that situation. But, Ryan, I take your point. I would be fascinated to see Pep do something different and to take on a different challenge. And that's, that's why I tongue in cheek, but, but still I mentioned MLS and and some different accomplishments he could maybe pursue on the opposite side of the Atlantic. I don't know where Pep ranks like first, second or third among the best managers ever. I will say he ranks very highly in terms of the number of trophies won, the percentage of trophies he's won per year. He ranks very highly in, in this is subjective in terms of the influence he's had on players and coaches that he's he's worked with as a player and as a manager as well. I think for all of those reasons, and, and for some of the games and rivals rivalries that he's been a part of, he is absolutely one of the greatest managers ever. I, I can't say which one of those he actually is. All right. We'll leave it there then. Thank you very much, Joe Lowry, for all your uh, wonderful um, um, stats and and 
anecdotes and wonderful things you said about Pep Guardiola. I don't know what I'm saying with the sentence. I'm sorry, Joe. Thank you. You got it, Ryan. Thank you. Taylor Walker, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. I have one more little anecdote that I found hilarious at the end. There was, I think it was an FA Cup game against maybe Bristol Rovers. Uh, at the end of it, I think it was played uh, in Bristol, uh, Pep invites or like has a meeting with the coaching staff and the front office of Bristol, and it's sort of confusing as to like, yeah, it was a good game. Like we always end up like having a nice word with with the the coaching staff, but he's having like a secret meeting, and he has a lot of questions for us, is what they're told. And they go in there, and and it's all about how he had observed these little markings around the pitch, and like, what does this mean? How are you utilizing that? And they all sort of get confused for a second, and then the the Bristol manager says like, oh, that's because it's a rugby pitch as well. We use it for rugby. <laughs> but Pep had like done the Pep thing and overthought him, and like they must have like lines drawn up for where they approach and where they attack and where the set pieces are taken from, and 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 so I like the idea that sometimes Pep can't turn it off and maybe misses the obvious, but for the most part. He tends to get it right, I think. So, well done <laughs> to Pep Guardiola. I'm sure that means a lot to him coming from me and us. But also, well done us for, I think, encapsulating a pretty great career in, I think, under an hour. Yeah, well done us. We're great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. Good stuff, Taylor. Thank you very much for your time, T-Rock. And thank you, listener. Um, this has been Soccer 101, episode 99. 99. Ooh. Can you believe it? Centurion coming up, baby, next week on the feed. But for now, catch you later. We'll